You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yehoshua Pupko of Cote St. Luke, suburb of that wonderful town to the north, Montreal, Rabbi of Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, and um, Guru Maven, um, all together, super nice guy, Rabbi Pupko. So uh, I say 40 years ago, uh, here's what was, you know, 73, of course, was Roe versus Wade and um, landmark decision of the right to privacy and the woman's right to choose. It seems like, uh, despite Biden's victory, there seems to be a lot of challenges um, to that mentality. And it seems like a number of states like Texas and Kentucky have, uh, you know, at least passed laws that were passed by a majority of their, uh, of, of the people of the state uh, to ban abortions after a certain time. And I know, I don't know exactly how the Aguda and some of the, uh, uh, the Jewish, uh, you probably are more aware than I am, uh, have been asked to uh, weigh in on you know, the, um, the Supreme Court allowing the Texas law to stand, uh, the, uh, allowing private- it, What they did in Texas is rather ingenious. Uh, the way they drafted right. the legislation they, to avoid immediate- They, they said private, private people could sue. Right. So, uh, so the state's not an actor, but eventually it will be overturned. I, probably, probably. Uh, overturned, even though you have a six to three split on the uh, conservative uh, majority on the, on the Supreme Court today, uh, you know, overturning precedents is not something that comes easily, especially on such divisive issues. And especially when there's a lot of democratic talk about court packing, uh, the Supreme Court is probably sensitive. Not they, to give, in other words, not they don't, they don't want fuel to the other side here. So I, I, I'm assuming they're going to, I think, you know, the conservatives are hoping that Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I, I don't think that'll, I personally don't think it'll happen. I think they're going to respect the precedent. And, um, and although many legal scholars, both on the right and the left, question Roe v. Wade because it invented a new constitutional right, which never existed before. Um, right, and, the, the, the right to privacy, which is seemingly, right. again, yeah. was a greater right than the medical or ethical evidence, I'm going to say medical slash ethical evidence, that the fetus was viable and the fetus right, so would have a right to the living being. Abortion obviously is a very hot button. It's a, it's a very divisive issue. But he, here's the question. I mean, even people who are, to use their language, pro-choice, right, uh, who, are, who believe abortion should not be illegal, generally. I mean, most people assume there's some restrictions, but they should fundamentally not illegal uh do entertain the possibility that Roe v. Wade was the wrong way to go, meaning that in a democracy as diverse as the United States, they should have allowed abortion to um, be an issue at a state level. And and it would have been uh, through the organic democratic process of, of, of voting and everything else, elections and passing laws, where most states probably would have permitted abortion in one form or another and allowed it and allowed it. In other words, what the Supreme Court really did was freeze what would have been otherwise an organic political evolution in one direction or another. And the Supreme Court, you know, froze that 
it made it a court issue rather than a legislative issue and and permitted it uh and, and, and permitted uh, uh abortion now the world is a, is scientifically more advanced than it was 50 years ago and fetus viability is certainly different today than it was 50 years ago because of medical advancement and it's a legitimate question whether or not uh there should be more restrictions on when abortion is allowed in the U.S. than before, because again, the viability of the fetus. And, and that's, a, that, that's the debate that's going on now. The question for Jews, and, and I know not everyone likes to hear this, but the question for, Jew, for Jews is the following. I think while every Jew recognizes that we should not advocate for the government to ban shotness, for instance, the question is, is abortion shotness or, is, or in other words, the, the ISR, the prohibition on abortion, is it a particularly Jewish value or is it one of those values that we believe are universal, meaning it is something we should advocate for, right? Jews would advocate for murder being illegal, even though, you know, just because of the Torah, it doesn't make it exclusively Jewish. Is abortion shotness or is abortion loitertzach? I think most people, most Jews would say, you know, it's a universal value. and Therefore, it is something we can't advocate for. Are we seeking to impose Jewish values on the world when we advocate for limitations on abortions? Or are we sharing our universal vision for how the world should respect a potential life? Is that what we should do? Do we, do we say, well, you know, we're not with the Catholics. We don't believe it's murder, but we believe it's prohibited, so we can't join with them. That's what a lot of people will say. You know, they say it's always illegal. We don't say it's this, you know, threat to the mother. I mean, there are all these... There are differences between the way and even oh, de- definitely. I mean, Rav Moshe, who was uh, right. Rav Moshe, who uh, you know, in the in his debate with Rav Waldenberg, was more machmir, but he right. himself said clearly that it's not ritzicha, as you've said, uh, but it is in a way an iser to uh, to terminate the budding life, <laughs> but it's not the 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 significance of that. Fetus it's is not. not we believe it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not the murder of a of, of a nefesh. However, it's not just an act of wearing shotness, right? It's right. clear. Clear of Moshe saw it. Even you know, again, it's a very like you say, it's a delicate balance uh, to push. You don't, you don't want to make common cause with people who, or maybe you do. You want to make common cause with people who believe something very different than what you believe about it being murder or not. On the other hand, you want to live in a society where potential human life is is disregarded. By the way, what people don't understand is that European abortion laws and Canadian abortion laws are significantly in, 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 uh, more restrictive than American abortion laws in terms of you know the weeks when it's allowed and, and everything else. Um, so I, I think what everybody knows, what everybody understands is that obviously we would live in a world where there, you know, we would hope to live in a world where, where, uh, where abortions are very rare and safe and legal when necessary, uh, but generally um, avoided, uh, if not prohibited. I think that's what most Jews would would, would advocate for. And uh, I think what makes everyone nuts in this issue is similar to the gun rights issue. In other words, the pro-choice people believe any restriction means it's a slippery slope to a prohibition just like the gun people believe on the other side of the political spectrum. And if they had, a, if they took a more reasonable posture, people could accept it. That means if you pass, I'm not, and again, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about what my position is, what the rabbinic position should be, what the Orthodox Jewish position is. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you come up with a, with a, with a sensible 
ethical, semi-ethical, medically sound view on abortion, which is different than what's going on now. And I think that if you restricted abortion to the first trimester, right, that would take a lot of heat out of the issue. Which is, which I believe is, is the uh, many, whether it's in Kentucky or uh, Mississippi right. and other places, they're talking about anything past the first trimester should be prohibited, I guess, unless there's, uh, you know, they could probably legislate extreme exceptions where the health yeah. of the child or rape or incest. And I don't know if that's, uh, you know, that listen, doesn't. I, I think, I, listen, I, I think, I'm not, again, I'd love to live in a world where there's no, pro, no abortions, obviously. I'm just saying, how do you craft legislation that most Americans can embrace? And I think a legislation that most Americans can embrace is nothing like Texas or nothing like New York or California. It's neither. It's where you have, where you have uh, first trimester permission to do so, which is 90% of the abortions anyway, is our first trimester. And you have rare exceptions for clear and present risk to the physical health of the mother. Once you raise mental health, it's a, it's a tunnel you can drive, you know, a, a train through, uh, and, and every you know you'll always get done. Right, but, but people always wave that rape and incest flag, where right. the mother's a you know a healthy strapping young lass, but but, but, but her but her stepfather pregnancy, was was pregnancy, too. <laughs> pregnancy from rape or incest is remarkably rare, obviously, very rare. I mean, especially when you say post first trimester rape or incest pregnancy are vanishingly weird. And for people to get excited about this when there are solutions to it are really bizarre, really, really bizarre. But again, uh, um, well, well, let me ask you something. I know you're, I know you're, 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 you're trying to be somewhat, you know, uh, equivocal uh, on this. And I appreciate that. And I think I'm not trying uh, to be, I'm trying to, I'm, listen, I'm not speaking for what should be. What should be is, you know, halacha, 100%. I'm just saying within the realm of what's doable Politically. Okay, so should here's my question. You know, you, you're obviously you, you represent your show, but you also are a voice for the U.S., especially due to this great podcast. So, what you know should should Jews like should the Aguda issue a statement? Should the RCA issue a statement? Or should as if they're asked to? Or should they say you know this is an American legal issue? You know, we this is not our area to discuss to be safe. And this way, we won't the be question, branded. We won't be branded extremists. Is, okay, is, in the is Orthodox it, community, articulate a position, which is contrary to halacha, but, but articulated because that's what's doable. In other words, halacha would say, very different than whatever, anything we would propose, halacha would be different, right? In other words, let me, let me put it more carefully. Anything that we would propose that would be anywhere within the realm of what's politically possible in America, today would be not in line with halacha, but it would be helpful in line with halacha. In other words, restrictive laws, but that don't conform to absolute halacha in terms of complete isser. In other words, should the Orthodox community advocate to ban all for post first trimester, knowing that halachically there's a difference between first trimester and the rest of pregnancy? There is, but not to the extent that it would allow it, obviously, but there is a difference. And, and and knowing that it will have the impact of, of lowering the numbers of really p- problematic medical procedures of abortions and taking place in second and somebody's later trimesters. So, so what you're saying is, is that it, it should be, uh, if, if the statements are made, 
they should be done carefully with the caveat that we are not issuing a halachic determined ruling, but we are saying this is considering the political uh, realities, we would be more comfortable with this law than another. And you and I both know that if they did that, half the Orthodox community would scream Gaval that the Orthodox position as articulated in in, in political uh, uh, statements is not in conformity with with halacha. They would go bananas. How do you go ahead and validate anything? Question is, can the Orthodox community articulate a view which is politically viable, politically sensible, whose goal is to diminish, but not, but will never, you know, outlaw completely, to diminish the number of abortions that, especially those that are really, really egregiously wrong. Right, second trimester. So, um, civilized, enlightened, the most liberal societies in, in Europe don't allow what America allows. So, I, I think that. I, I believe, I think it was Clinton who said it, you know, we should be rare and safe. You know, everyone agrees on that. But the end, the pro-abortion people, the pro-choice people see any restriction as the way gun rights people see restrictions on guns. They go bananas. So so it's a minefield. I mean, you admit that for 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 the RCA, for the Aguda, for anyone, even it either the statement will be irrelevant or will be contrary to Allah. So you sort of agree with me that maybe we making no comment is even the safest thing to do politically with internally. They can't make a statement that's reasonable. Right. And 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 if you make a statement that's in conformity with strict halacha, then it's politically nonsensical. It can't happen. Can't allow. You know, so the question is, well, they live in a world where they get, you know, half of the, you know, half of what they want rather than all they want. And they live in a world where they ask for that, perhaps. I have to tell you, you know, uh, this is related to to your points before. Uh, there was, a, I guess, a golden period, uh, I, I think in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, where there was a lot of fundamentalist uh, Christian and Jewish mo- melding on this point. And um, friends of mine uh, made Common Cause with the uh, the very strict anti-abortion uh, people who were you know, funded by the churches and the fundamentalist churches and the Catholic Church, and it resulted in a tremendous amount of support financially for Israel and for, right and, and for and for other Jewish causes. Um, what's what, what's strange though, and is that despite the fact that you know they when we strengthen our bonds with these fundamentalist Christians. We know that we're getting more support for Israel and people who really believe in it, who visit Israel, who who, who speak about uh, against you know the the threat of Palestinian terror and Islamic terror. But as you say, we we make common cause with people who don't necessarily view the world as we do in terms of right or wrong, um, and yet we get that benefit uh, from that. You know, we, you know, and I don't know where things are today. Uh, vis-a-vis th- that world, but I think if we th- by by articulating things in that subtle way, it's not really murder. It's not. It's more of a uh, of something that we consider verboten. We we um, threaten our connection with that those Christian friends of ours, and maybe that might be another reason not to articulate. What do you think? Jews have been embraced in America in a way that no other country ever embraced us. Um, and uh, and Jewish values are embraced. You know, uh, Israel is embraced. 
and we shouldn't do anything to harm it. There's no question that in the mind of the evangelical, many Jews have gone off the rails with their uh, unfettered embrace of every liberal cause, every left-wing cause. And uh, that certainly has hurt us in, in, in that community. But the resilience and the durability of evangelical support for Israel is quite remarkable, really remarkable. And, uh, and we should certainly nurture it. I, don't, I think it's proven the test of time. I think they have seen Jews support many things that they're against, right? From uh, candidates for presidency or, and everything else and every other policy, immigration and everything else. And yet they continue to support Israel. So that's something remarkable. Right. But I think one of the things that that allowed the glue to be so solid was having orthodox voices and, and, and that were that were in common with them. They were very happy. The, the, the pro-life movement was very happy to bring rabbis yeah, sure. to, to talk about things and to show that this wasn't just a, a Christian idea, that this was a, this was pan. The question uh, is, who's pan- getting abortions today? There are many fewer abortions today in America than there were 20 years ago and it has a lot to do. With economics has a lot to do with education. It's, I'm not sure it has to do so much with the law, but uh, I think if, if Jews really are concerned, and the Catholics have, have done this, and they deserve a lot of credit, Jews are really concerned about abortions going on in America. What they would be doing is supporting, having programs that support uh, young women who become pregnant, uh, and, and how to and how to support them, how to encourage adoption, how to encourage taking care of them uh, during their pregnancy, and. Uh, and that would certainly go a long way to, uh, to, to, you know, to, to avoiding, to, to, in avoiding abortion. In other words, to bring the numbers down by supporting women who are in that position. You know, do you think it's it's strange? And I don't. You know, I've seen the numbers quoted, and they are uh, thrown at us like a salvo from the Haredi community in Israel about the amount of abortions performed in the state of Israel and how it's it's like it's like number one I think uh, proportionately um, how, how do we how do we respond to that why you know is this you know again I don't know if the numbers have gone down but I, I always hear about this as as this great terrible blotch on the state of Israel and I'm yeah. sure you've I'm sure you've had to respond to it yourself how did... yeah no sure it's, listen abortion has become and it has been for some time now the number one litmus test for being, you know, a liberal person, you know, being, you know, uh, for, for, for not being a misogynist. And uh, that's the number one litmus test. The societies that accept abortion are considered enlightened and liberal and tolerant and, and, and you know, feminist and everything else. And if you're anti-abortion, it means you're a Neanderthal dinosaur and a primitive. Uh, that's just, you know, how, how the liberal ethos of the day, that is. If you're anti-abortion, you know, the Democratic Party used to have anti-abortion uh, senators in Congress. They don't have them anymore. The big tent of the Democratic Party, there were, there were voices that were, you know, anti-abortion. Uh, and, and they don't have that anymore. It is now the clear orthodoxy of, of the Democratic Party and uh, of everybody on the left, anyone who calls himself a liberal, to be pro-abortion. And that, in Israel, certainly sees itself that way. And, uh, to ban abortion means you are part of the dark ages. That's what it means in the minds of. In, so, 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 in other words, what you're saying is that the liberalism in Israel is even more sharp in many ways than it is in the United States, and that might be part of it. In other words, despite the fact that they speak a common language and they herald back to the beauty of Tanakh in many ways, but on this issue, it, it, just like everything in Israel, becomes 
uh, more uh, sharp and, and and less nuanced and very you know very polarizing. That's why you would say that on you know the, by the by the chilonim as we'll call them, there's uh, they would embrace uh, they embrace abortion even more without right. any of the qualms that you know that we would we would we would have. Or, Again, it, it goes. The question is, what should our approach have been? Or what, what it should be going forward. And I, I think we might do better. We may. And again, listen, some very smart people on both sides of this debate have been having the same argument for decades now about abortion. Maybe we need to frame this conversation in a broader sense. Maybe. Maybe this is naive. About respect for life. And, and that is at both ends of existence. What I mean is, there's a growing movement, as you know, for euthanasia, uh, for a doctor-assisted suicide. It has, has now become legal in Canada. It's legal in many, parts of, in many parts of Europe. We all know that the worst fears have been realized, where even mental illness is now a reason for doctor-assisted suicide. Even young people have been allowed in some of these Scandinavian countries. It's a disaster. What's now being allowed to happen to old people is an absolute disaster. I, I would believe I believe that the nursing home deaths during COVID in New York and New Jersey and even my place called Quebec, you cannot separate what happened there from the general lack of respect for the lives of elderly people. That was a result of people not caring. Remember what happens, right? We, we're old enough to remember Kathleen Quinlan, right? That was the big case, right? She's in a permanent vegetative state. Do we remove a respirator? And what did people say at the time? Well, if we allow this, it's a slippery slope. And we were laughed at. And the fact is, in our lifetime, we have seen the slippery slope where it went from removing a respirator, right, to DNR orders, to removing a feeding tube, let people starve sure. to death. Uh, starve well, to death. Right. Well, or Literally to- starve to death. Not only do we remove, not only do we not resuscitate, not only are we starving people to death in hospitals, but now what happens? Somebody says, you know, I'm living, I have terminal cancer, I want to commit suicide. The media celebrates them as heroes. And then what happens one day later? There's an old woman lying in her hospital bed, surrounded by her children. And she says to herself in her mind, maybe my children and grandchildren are wondering, why am I not like that heroic guy on TV last week? who took his own life is celebrated as a hero for dying with his own volition and with dignity. In other words, that which is accepted becomes expected. And that's the problem with doctors. That's one of them. I mean, besides what's wrong with it in and of itself is that it ultimately inevitably metastasizes because what is now allowed now becomes expected and people who would never in normal circumstances ever imagine ending their own life now believe they're part of a culture that expects them to do the dignified, heroic thing and take their own life. And that's absurd. That's insanity. That's moral depravity of the worst kind where the human life is in respect. So instead of framing the abortion issue as, you know, a feminist issue and as an issue of uh, I have control over my own body, we should be we should be talking about a culture that fundamentally has turned it back on the sanctity of life, both at its beginning and at its end. And we need to advocate for life, right? For the anti-doctor-assisted suicide, which hasn't, uh, uh, you know, occurred too badly in, in the States yet, but it has in Canada and Europe, right? But it's going to come up, it's going to be pushed for more and more in the U.S. And, 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 and respect for potential life. 
right? Instead of calling, instead of calling abortion murder, it might be more effective to talk about every child's a blessing. Life is a blessing. But when you live in a world that not only doesn't respect life, but has this dystopian view of what how the world's turning out because of the environment and everything else, you know, people say, I'm not going to have kids because of global warming, and, and they don't view children as a blessing. They see it as a burden on the environment. That's a disaster. We should be speaking as Orthodox Jews about a culture of life and hope, right? Of life and respect for life, of life of hope, of children being a blessing. I want to segue a little bit here, but I want to preface, uh, Rabbi, that I got uh, a lot of angry emails from CFL fans who said, how <laughs> dare Rabbi Pupko imagine such a doomsday scenario? I think a lot of Argonaut fans and people who love Doug Flutie, I mean, there are people who, who couldn't believe that, you know, your utter disdain for such a, a wonderful football league that you know, is bereft of all the controversy and ugliness of the NFL. But, <laughs> and, uh, you know, case in point, um, and connected to, to, you know, to the Supreme Court's uh, embracing and creation of the right to privacy, uh, here we have some private uh, emails that uh, were sent off between uh, John Gruden and his buddy, uh, George, George Allen's son, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, was at that time, I think, the um, was he president the, of the Washington president of the Washington? I, I can't even say their name, I can't say Redskins football team, right? Oh, oh, I said it. Oh, never, by the way, I'm advocating. So, 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 I believe that all teams that have uh, names of, of, of the indigenous population. We should encourage them to adopt Jewish names. I I, I think yeah. that's right. Because I'd be very happy if a sports team named themselves for me, right? Like the Cleveland Jew Boys. I'd be very proud. <laughs> You're right, right. I, I would be very happy. Right. I, the, the Washington Hasidim, I think, would be great. The Houston Heaves. I would love that. Right. And or the Minneapolis Misnagdim. I think that would be a, I mean, a, a great thing. I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah. I don't know why anybody's upset. Yeah. It should be uh, the Atlanta Ashkenazim. What's wrong with that? Right, yeah, yeah. The New Orleans uh, Schlamassels that could the work. San Jose Spartan. Yeah, yeah. Or we could even talk about you know, uh, you know, the Las Vegas uh, Ingles, right? The I mean, uh, the Kansas Keepa Toters. <laughs> right, or you know, the Miami all day. The Miami Mavens. Yeah, I mean, it could, <laughs> we could definitely you know, villain wearers. Right. Yeah, you know, the Tampa Bay Shepherd Eyes. You know, it's a. Uh, it, it, it would. I think it would be. I think it would. It would. Minneapolis, Michigan. Yeah, I already said Minneapolis, but okay, yeah. Okay, that's too easy. Michigan are too easy, you know. You know, by the way, the Detroit um coach wants the players to act like Michigan. He talks about uh, yeah, 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 he yeah. talks about destroying their kneecaps, right? Just be a crazy right. wild man out there. Instead of the Florida Marlins, you have the Florida Fressers. Yes, that's what we were, by the way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> there wasn't there I mean, wasn't I would be so happy if a team named themselves for me. I don't know why anybody's upset. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't think the indigenous people really care. I mean, they have been so no, they shafted. Don't care at all. They, they have been so shafted. I mean, they, they were shafted from, day, shafted from day one. Oh, we have now somehow rectified taking your land and slaughtering all your children and, and, and infecting you with all the diseases from Europe. But you know what we did? 
we this is your compensation. We now have we've taken away that that, that ugly. Yeah, so it's I've been said horrible things that no human being should think or say ever. But here's what I think. Let me just move. I want to move away from John Gruden for a minute. I want to talk about the NFL in general. The mistake the NFL made years ago was deciding that their players and their coaches and their staff are role models for society. And therefore, when they misbehave, whether they're with domestic violence or drugs or DUIs, oh my God, we have to suspend them. This was their mistake. They set themselves up for a fall by claiming they're a bunch of role models. They should have said, we're thugs. We are horrible people playing a horribly violent game. We are not the guy you want to live next door to. And that's it. When they got into trouble, they said, oh yeah, that's what they should do. They should get in trouble because they're football players who are, who are violent people who've been trained to be violent, who earn their living by being violent. So yeah, you want them to act like ballerinas? Ain't going to happen. Right. So that's what I would say just on my uh, that's my pro football misbehavior rant in general. And I think, by the way, Israel made the same mistake. Israel said, oh, we're led to the nations. Oh, my God, we're led to the nations. So everyone, oh, we have to hold Israel to a higher standard. No, Israel said, you know, we used to be the light to the nations. Then you went ahead and killed six million of us. You know, what we are now we're the darkness back <laughs> off. OK, and that's what we should have said. And oh, my God, they violated human rights. And no one would care. We have to say who we are. We're the darkness. We're here to survive. And survival isn't pretty. And that's it. Finished. And, uh, you know, but you know, the NFL, like the state of Israel, decided they're a light into the nation. We're role models. And then you get knocked off your pedestal the first time somebody misbehaves. John Gruden said horrible things. I think he's a pretty good coach. He was a good analyst on ESPN. I thought, I don't know, I liked him. Uh, obviously, he's, uh, you know. Look, he, look he took the Tampa Bay losers and he turned them into Super Bowl right. champs. You know, but on the other hand, he should have said things, which not forget what no one else should say, of course. No one should think, though. Those are horrible things what he was doing there. Uh, using just uh, ugly terminology about uh, gay and uh, about gays and about uh, women and terrible stuff. But uh, you know, on the other hand, side of my brain says, you know, a guy writes a private email, you know, does, would any of us withstand the scrutiny of having our private conversations or emails exposed to the light of day? Who would survive that world? I mean, is there, is there anyone in the world who doesn't regret having said something ridiculously and horribly offensive in the past? I mean, besides myself, I myself have never, ever uttered an offensive word to anyone, private or public. I, 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 I can attest to that, yes. Yeah, I've um, never, I, I wouldn't know how. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know how to be offensive, even if I tried. If I, right. maybe, but, 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 but here, but, but again, I think the reason why these emails, uh, there was a, an internal investigation uh, that the uh, Washington football team, I guess, agreed is with the FBI. I don't know who it is exactly. What so, happened was there was this there was these complaints against Dan Snyder, who owns the Redskins, that they allowed a toxic work environment. You know, there's an expose that journalists had done about how they treated the cheerleaders, how the how the business was conducted in the front office. So the NFL did an investigation. In the course of the investigation, they read through six hundred and fifty thousand emails. Whatever these people are being paid, it ain't enough. They read through 650,000 emails, and they came up with the email correspondence that between Gruden and Allen, and, and this stuff came to light. But he's the collateral damage in the investigation so, of the Washington football team. So, so I, I think what you're, you're, what, what, what's getting your gourd is the fact that these pers- that personal information, as, as despicable as it might be, is private and shouldn't see the light of day, shouldn't be open, and, and his life, right? He shouldn't be 
Uh, All I'm saying is this self-righteous posturing of people, half of whom probably have written or said horribly offensive things in their past, passing judgment on Gruden is a little unseemly. I mean, listen, he didn't say it publicly. There's no evidence of him ever acting in a homophobic, misogynistic, or racist way. He, nobody ever claimed he treated black payers, uh, black players poorly. No, no one's ever said, in other words, in behavior, no one's pointed to anything as far as I know. I, I, I would say something, uh, two other points on this. One point is, is that the immediacy of the emails causes people to throw caution to the wind, not realizing how permanent the emails are. I, I function in a world where I know that anything I write, someone could forward and push reply all on or whatever it is. And, you know, so I'm, I'm careful about what I write. I'm not careful what I text to my kids, but that's about it. The other right. every other correspondence is uh, is right. So so I think my most common response to an email is please call me. Right, and I think that's part of what what we are seeing in the Gruden situation. I think the other thing is, and again, I never really liked him anyway. I think people they call him Chucky, right? Chucky, yeah, Chucky. They call them Chucky. Way, Chucky. Are different people with different people, and look when when you and I talk. We both assume certain positions and certain ways of, of of speech that our friends would be very surprised, and that doesn't mean that we are some duplicitous, monstrous duo. It's just that that certain people bring out certain things in other people. Uh, we had a relationship where you know we dumped on Joe Tendler, and by the way, I did a lot of extolling of his brother uh, this week and, and emphasizing the positiveness. So maybe uh, you know, but the point is, we will talk that way. But we won't necessarily talk that way to our congregants and to our students. And I think I think what happens is, is that, you know, Gruden and Allen might have had this relationship where they, you know, going way back the way they spoke about gays, the way they spoke about women uh, and other things. And therefore, it's not really a snapshot into the corruptness of that person's soul. We are so many different people depending on who we're talking to. Listen, he, listen, he said horrible things there. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't have an opinion whether he should or shouldn't have been fired. All I know is that the people who are now lobbing grenades at him and celebrating his firing and all this, very few could withstand the scrutiny to which he's been subjected. Right. And I, I am sure, again, I, I told you this before, before we started recording, uh, I am sure that many of the coaches still still around, and I think you, you're hearing this from, from a number of, of commentators, this isn't he isn't the 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 ogre as as, as ugly as what he said was. I'm sure this is common in the common uh, mentality of many of the coaches. I do want to say one thing, though, which I find quite interesting, that one of the scandalous things he supposedly said was his how upset he was about people who were kneeling at the national anthem. Right. And um, and as if as if that also was a, a terrible black mark on him. Is, uh, right. What? Right. That's what I'm saying. Why is that thrown in together with the homophobic, together with the, uh, the misogynistic? Uh, maybe there was anti-Semitic stuff there, too. I don't know. But but at least, you know, that well, it's clear. It's clear the NFL is anti-Semitic, given the very low numbers of Jewish players. <laughs> clear they're excluding us deliberately. There's no other imaginable reason. But my point is, I think that that now that the you know, we talked about guilty by association, putting uh, 
putting things together which don't necessarily go together, but in the liberal mindset are of the same piece. I think hearing an email, now let's say there's an email that comes out where the coaches are ranting against the players for kneeling. And the co- and, and you can see that, you know, this is terrible. I can't believe these, these expletives, expletives are doing this. Instead of feeling like uh, many people did, that how could you kneel on the national anthem? You know, how, how, you know, again, whatever you feel privately, how can you publicly say that I don't believe in the, the greatness of the United States? I don't believe the United States is great, you know, and I don't believe that we should be standing up and, 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 and glorifying it. There should be outrage about that, but I think it's going, I think uh, the slippery slope, there ain't any slope anymore. Anybody who believes that, you know, again, whether Kaepernick is a hero or not, clearly, you know, uh, it's not considered anything close to an insult to to kneel at the national anthem. And and when we were growing up and and again, and Gruden is not that much younger uh, than us, I can understand that what that what where is this world? What has happened to this world? Oh, there's no question that, uh, you know, that. Old America looks at new America as people can intent on tearing down everything they value. And, uh, and there's a problem there. And, the, uh, and where uh, the American story becomes a story of guilt and uh, an irredeemable crime, criminality, and, you know, that's not a recipe for, uh, for popularity in the older generation of America. Well, you know, look, we could be cynical and even ask, I think, even a deeper question. Why do they play the national anthem before sports events? Why is it necessary to trot out the the symbol of the United States? I understand in the Olympics. I don't know about you. you you're, you're, I'm a patriotic American. You were always somewhere. You were you were investigated by the House Committee on American Activities, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and uh, I've always been a patriotic American. I when I watch football games in my comfort of my own home, and the national anthem of the United States of America comes on, I stand up in my living room. think kids were young in Montreal, I made them pledge allegiance all the time. Okay, what's... But, always but, pledging allegiance. Right, but the logic that a game... <laughs> in other words, you don't play the national anthem when you're about to eat supper. You don't play the national anthem uh, by, by other events, a surprise right. birthday party. I but, enjoy it. Uh, but I think the point is, is that <laughs> this enjoyment that we're going to have so to speak this this three hours that we're sort of free to to let our emotions run and we want to signify that it's because we live in a country that allows these type of amusements and enjoyments to happen and 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 so therefore it's almost like breaking the glass at the chuppah we're about to do wildkeit look we haven't forgotten here too you know, that I think is, yes, I think that is the idea. And I think that we should hate Gruden for what he said, but also maybe reconsider that, you know, what is, you know, reconsider the, the, God uh, bless America. <laughs> what a, what, okay. Man that's a, that I love. That's a great ending. You know, and the old, beside her. Bef, bef, right. Well, you know what? I think, as you know, both of us, I think, stayed up very late often. And the last thing that we saw before the uh, uh, before the what was that on the television? The weather, you know, the, the it was like you would hear the national anthem. So if we I could pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. 
for all. Well, uh, and, and long may that flag wave. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 